Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Using the latest gadgets and technology to help make farming high-tech. From using satellites, GPS, cameras, on drones and other aerial devices to help make farming high-tech, to maybe helping bees out with some drone assistance along with new ways to make plants generate electricity. All this and more on a farming special of the Grange Point. For years now, here on the Grange Point, we've been talking about bees, and that's not just because they buzz and help us give us bountiful crops, but also because they've been disappearing rapidly from across the world in a disorder otherwise known as colony collapse syndrome or colony collapse disorder. Um, Amongst other things, this has been suspected to be attributed to things like increasing use of pesticides or climate change. But regardless, the population of bees has rapidly deteriorated across the world. In places like Australia, we're obviously not as hit as hard as North America. In Europe, they investigated the link previously between colony collapse disorder and the banning of certain pesticides, and they noted some improvement there. But all of this worrying about bees' population has been concerning not just for people who like flowers and who like the subtle buzzing of bees, but more particularly for farmers. Because farmers rely on these small little insects to pollinate their crops. And without the bees, plants do not grow anywhere near as fruitfully or effectively as they would otherwise. So bees are an integral part, not just of uh, a nice, stable ecosystem, but of our economy. Without these little bees, we're in dire straits. So researchers from the National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology in Japan, led by Dr. Ijiro Miyako, have been studying, well, how could you get around the fact that there's no bees? And, well, working with some chemists, they've been putting together robotics and complex chemistry to actually create an artificial bee. Now, there's two parts of the problem that make pollination so difficult. The first is, obviously, you need to get something in and around all of these flowers, which is important. But the other part is that you actually need to spread the pollen in the correct way, and it's not just as simple as exuding a spray. It actually requires a transfer of material. You need to have something that could pick up the pollen and then transfer it to another flower. Now, bees just do this with their legs and the rest of their body pretty easily, but actually doing that with a robot is really hard. So Dr. Ijiro Miyako experimented with an ionic liquid gel that could pick up the pollen-like material and carry it from one flower to the next, thus mimicking the effect of what a bee would use for pollination. And he's recently published a paper together with his colleagues in the journal Chem, Because at its heart, what they're investigating is a way to mimic the chemical properties of this transfer mechanism. And there's three major things that Miyako-san was investigating in his development of a gel. The first is that, well, it had to remain wet, um, which is important, but also maintain its properties. So you need to have it be a sticky-like gel that doesn't just, you know, decay, harden or dry out, particularly in the sun and the harsh environments. It also needs to be soft and have an adhesive force when the pollen grains are near. So it actually sticks to the pollen, but doesn't, you know, stick to everything else and thus get stuck. And they mimicked this using electrostatic properties as well, which means that you could sort of attract the pollen to it and also stick it. And that's really, really cool. So basically what they used is a small 1.6 by 1.6 inch drone, very small, um, and it had a strip of animal hair to mimic the fuzzy body of a bee. And then on this animal hair, he coated that strip with this sticky gel 
And this gel's purpose was basically to attract and stick the pollen from one flower, but also be able to release it when in contact with another flower. And that is what he did. With the small drone, flew it from one flower to another flower. So picked up the pollen from one flower, carried it to the next, and released the pollen. Doing it with electrostatic gel means he was in more control over how it worked. And that is pretty exciting. But the problem is that there are some issues with this drone mechanism. For starters, the drone was not actually uh, automatic, but like most drones you see on the market, remote controlled. And that's fine. Even though that drone cost about $100 a pop and it was remote controlled, these things can be improved by miniaturization, automation with artificial intelligence and smart vision recognition systems to identify exactly where a flower is. And using GPS, you could plot a pollination route. And all those things would be improved through time. But the bigger problem is that not all flowers are large and visible. Sometimes you actually have to go underneath some leaves. You have to dig out or uh, dig through the foliage to actually get to the flower itself. And that's actually quite common in a lot of crops. And that's great. And that makes this little robot mechanism quite difficult. Because when you have a large, big, open and exposed flower, it's quite easy for a drone to fly from one to the next and deposit the pollen. Once you start having to go deep into the undergrowth, it's quite difficult. And that's important for pumpkins and watermelons, where their flowers are actually under the leaves themselves. And with a bee, you know, it just zooms around, that flies in, comes out. But with a drone, it's much, much more difficult. Not only does that require a smaller drone, which, okay, maybe we could solve, but it requires really complicated pathing and identification. So that was something that would obviously have to be improved over time. As we've talked about, farming relies heavily on bees. And in the US alone, it's estimated that bees pollinate about $15 billion worth of crops every year with everything from apples, berries, cucumbers, and almonds. And in fact, people rent out their bees from farm to farm to help farmers pollinate their crops, which is incredible. But it shows that we need to have a better understanding of exactly how we could use drones to assist in this. Maybe there are alternate solutions which include building what they call green superhighways for bees, flower strips that help encourage the migration of bees from area to area, give them a safe place to dwell. That might help. But there are also other mechanisms as well, which we can look at, banning certain pesticides to help prevent colony collapse disorder, if that is a cause, and other things to help reserve the population of bees. All of these different mechanisms will help us protect the bee population that we have and our crops. But it's good to know that researchers are looking at other ways we could help pollinate crops without relying on bees and it's kind of a worst case scenario backup. So Miyako-san and his team at Japan National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology have been doing some great work to uh, develop a gel which can help transfer pollen between flowers but the robotic side still needs a lot of work. Now we like to think of farming as a, a basic and a simple activity. And often people in the cities can have a low opinion of farmers as just people who drive around big heavy machinery and you know, or pick some fruit or f grow some crops and then cut it down. But farming at its heart is an intricate and complicated science. You need to be able to monitor the growth of your crops, the salinity of the soil, the types of bacteria present on your leaves, how to protect your crop from bugs and bacteria, from devastation. 
to know exactly the best climate conditions to place them in, even knowing the geography and the lay of your land and how that affects things like soil erosion, temperatures, and crop yields. And all of this is incredibly intricate science. Agricultural science is a huge deal. And as our population increases across the world, it's estimated that you know in the next 30 years, the world's population will be around 9.1 billion people. And at that point, we're going to need to produce 30% more food than we're producing now, but we don't have that much more land. So all of these challenges means that farming is incredibly important. Australia's economy has a lot of farming into it, in it and a lot of great agricultural research, as does the United States. Shanglang Li is a professor from the University of Georgia in America, and he's been investigating ways we can improve the data collection and analysis for use on farms. Now, farmers often will go and try and study and take samples and measure how their crops are going. But the problem is this is incredibly time-consuming and realistically, farmers can only monitor a few points. But this is where things such as drones and all-terrain rovers or unmanned aerial vehicles come in. Equipping them with all types of different cameras, sensors, temperature readings, and LiDAR, scientists can gather huge amounts of data. We're talking like terabytes worth of data about crops. And then these can be analyzed to detect all sorts of things. And this is the idea behind Professor Lee's research. Now, the idea behind this is to turn what would otherwise be a painstakingly process, maybe for a couple of plants across the farm, for individually analysing, tuning and tweaking the approach for all the plants based on a quick sweep through using drones. Now, there's a lot of genetic tuning that we can do with plants based on their response to certain amounts of rainfall, sunlight conditions and so on. But it's kind of hard to have a really tailored approach when you have not enough information. So by getting more information, this will really help scientists target um, certain genetic developments, which will greatly improve, helpfully improve crop yields. We're already doing this kind of information gathering, but it's more about making it more efficient and more quantified. So aside from having multispectral, hyperspectral and thermal cameras, these small drones can be equipped with LiDAR as well. Throw in other sensing mechanisms, maybe some rainfall gauges, soil samplings and so on, and you've get a three-dimensional view of a plant, not just a plant, but all the plants. Along with that, you get detailed understanding of what its data is, its temperature, its salinity, and its other key parameters. And Professor Lee and his team, over a couple month period last year in the growing season, collected about 20 terabytes of data. And that's only with a small group of robots. Once you have a full deployment of robots across an entire farm, you could get easily 30 times that amount of data. So to analyze all this data, you need some really complicated algorithms. At the moment, they're basically using something like Facebook's auto-tagging for faces picture feature to detect flowers. And so you can see how many flowers each of your plants have, which is a good sign for the health of those crops. You can also look through another other key statistics. Now, the problem is that once you've got all these drones flying out there, you need to make sure they're all coordinating, working together. But it's just going to show that there's many things that farmers can do that are incredibly high tech. Uh, throw in GPS positioning for crop plantation. We've already talked about pollination using robot drones, or at least to assist pollination. There's many things that make agriculture highly scientific and innovative. And this is some great work being done from the University of Georgia to help show just how high tech farming can be.
The gentle swaying of leaves in the wind, moving back and forward, rocking as the wind buffs the tree, is such a soothing and poetic image. And inspired by this, researchers from Iowa State University in the United States, led by Michael McCluskey, who is a professor in genetics, have developed a biomimicking system that takes this beautiful and poetic image of leaves swaying in the wind and turns it into a mechanism for generating electricity. Seeing how the leaves on a cottonwood tree move backwards and forward, they created some very thin sheets of plastic-like leaves that move back to the stem of the leaf, and at that stem of the leaf is a small piezoelectric crystal. Now this piezoelectric crystal, once buffeted back and forth, actually generates electricity. And so what the end result of this tree, and they're small scale, they have about eight leaves on a small tree, but it generates electricity just by living in the wind. Being out there, looking beautiful, and swaying back and forth actually is generating electricity. Think about it like a more poetic and elegant wind turbine. And that's kind of the idea. A way to have not obviously large-scale power generation, but small-scale power generation for microgrids that just sort of supplements the existing power requirements, but looks beautiful and natural and learns from the efficient mechanisms generated in nature and applies them to our own. Now, we've seen in the past things like mobile phone towers being disguised as trees uh, to sort of camouflage them into the natural setting. But this takes it one step further and actually uses that aesthetic look for something productive, and that's the generation of electricity. Now, the recent work done by Michael McCluskey and his team has been summarized in the journal Plus One. And they've actually managed to show that you can generate a decent amount of electricity from these. Uh, and cottonwood leaves were chosen because they're, they're flat and they have flattened leaf stalks, which is pretty much like a, a wind turbine blade in a different type of format. And it moves back and forward in a nice, easy way, which means they can generate a lot of piezoelectric energy from it quite efficiently. The reason why this could work really nicely, as his team looks at, is that there's a lot of opportunity out there for mimicking biological systems and leveraging off this mimicry. Now, there's obviously other materials that could be used. Uh, you could have the leaves themselves be maybe photovoltaic or triboelectric, which is like the generation of friction between dissimilar materials. And all of these things could be used to power small autonomous sensors or small systems. They're never going to be a large-scale grid, but they could power smart devices located around them. For example, perhaps in a farm, this could power a lot of your research equipment, as we talked about in the previous story. Now, to make it a really practical device, it needs to be a lot more efficient, but it's a good starting point and a new way of thinking about generation of electricity. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Robotic drones to help improve pollination, along with new drones to help farmers study what's going on with their crops. Ways to generate electricity using biomimicry of plants. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.